God's Word, you can let me know simply by saying, I found it. All right, let's read together. I'll read aloud and you can follow along with me. Daniel chapter 3, verses 12, all the way through uh, verse 27. There were certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said and spake unto them, Is this true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if you be ready, that at the time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you'll fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their garments, their hats, and they were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace was exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished when he rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, O true king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth in the midst of the fire. Verse 27. And the princes, governors, captains of the king's counselors being gathered together, they saw the men upon whose body the fire had no power, nor was a hair on their head singed, neither was their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So we're continuing our journey in Daniel chapter 3 this morning as we move forward in navigating faith in the fire is the, the sermon that we've been covering over the past several weeks. For three weeks now we've been in this. Hopefully we'll get out of it uh, this morning, uh, maybe. Uh, but navigating faith in the fire, and this is from our Mastering Mountain series. And so if you haven't heard the previous uh, sermons, you can go on to our podcast and go backwards and listen to those if you'd like to. If you're missing and you'd like to get caught up, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, go on podcast or Spotify and you can type in the name of our church 
and find it. So over the last several weeks, we've, uh, we've discussed this. We've discussed navigating faith in the fire with Daniel chapter 3. And at this point, we see that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up a, a golden image, some 90 feet tall. And he had put out a decree upon, uh, to all of the providence and all of the people uh, in the region uh, and told them that they needed to worship the golden image uh, that he had set up. And uh, here we see that the, the three Hebrew men didn't heed to that warning. Uh, they, they had other things in their, uh, their mind. Uh, and they knew that they were there to serve the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they didn't bow down to the king's, uh, to the king's image. And they refused to follow his decree that he put out. Uh, and for that refusal, we know that uh, they, brought, they were brought before the king and uh, the king uh, started to question them. Is this true? Is it true that you're not going to worship the golden image that I've set up? Is it true that you haven't bowed your knee uh, to our God? Uh, and they said, yes. Uh, they said, no, we are not going to bow to your image that you've set up. Uh, we stand resolute and we're going to move forward with the God that we serve. Uh, whatever happens, whatever uh, comes our way. And so last week we kind of talked about their commitment. Uh, last week, we were able to see in verses uh, 16 through, 21, uh, through 23, we got to see what their response to the king was. Uh, that was one of my favorite portions of this passage of scripture. Uh, we see several things as we look at uh, their commitment in verses 16 through 23. Last week, we were able to see that they were settled in God. They were steadfast and they were settled in the God that they serve. It says in verse 16, we're not careful to answer thee in this, ma uh, in this matter. Uh, I love that. And at that point, I can only imagine, like I said last week, I can only imagine what the face of the king looked like at that point. When these three Hebrew boys were standing up in front of the king and they're like, we don't even need to answer you in this matter. I'm not even careful to answer you uh, with the questions that got brought up. They didn't hesitate to give an answer saying we're going to stand with our God. We're going to stand no matter what comes our way. We're going to stand fast and stand steady on what he's promised us. And we have faith that he's going to deliver us. And I like it that that. They were even like essentially they were saying, we don't have to defend you. We don't have to defend our God. I don't have to stand here and, and give an account or, or, or defend my God. My God is able to defend not only himself, but God's going to defend us as well. He's going to protect us, right? So many times, and I covered this last week, so many times we feel like we have to defend our God. So many times we feel like we have to, when somebody comes against us, we're wanting to be like, ah, and give an account or give, give, some sort of, uh, give some sort of defense with why I'm a Christian. And you kind of go around and yes, I, I don't do that because, well, I don't really believe it. And then you kind of start hem-hawing around of why you may or may not be doing something, right? According to the word standard or to the world standard, rather. We don't have to defend our God. We just have to trust in our God. We just have to know that he's going to be there for us no matter what. We're not there to defend God. Our task is to trust and obey God. Let him take care of the rest. Let him take care of the situations that we have in life. So I want to I encourage you this morning, just like I said last week, I want you to be steadfast in where you are and what you believe. I want you to be settled, just like these three Hebrew men were, and committed to God. Commit yourself to the Lord and watch what he does. Watch how he protects us. Watch how he leads us, right? And when we stand uh, firm now... In times of what we have as peace, so far as peace, when we stand steadfast in times of peace, what we have now, you'll know that you'll be able to stand steadfast when hard times come. See, they were standing, were, they were standing firm on God uh, and what God had told them and serving God in times of peace. And when it came to the fiery furnace, they didn't hesitate. They didn't stop to think. They didn't stop to consider. They stood resolute 
And they said, no, we're going to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they were settled in God. Not only were they settled in God, last week we talked about them being surrendered to God. Uh, we saw that in verses 17 and 18. It says, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. This is authentic faith. This was steadfast in what they believed. And we see several things here. We see three, three things that, that I want to go over that I didn't cover last week. In their surrendering to God. In their surrenders, surrenderance to God, we see three different things. First, they recognized God's power. They recognized God's power, not just the king that they were standing before. Right? They acknowledged the sovereignty and the power of God when they said, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. See, this recognition of God's ability to intervene in their situation reflects that trust that they had in God. So they recognized God's power. Number two, they submitted to God's will. Not only did they recognize the God that they served, and they recognized the power that, of the God that they served, then they ended up submitting to His will. Right? That's shown their willingness to accept whatever the outcome was. I love that. When they said, we're, we're standing here firm. God will deliver us. He's going to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, I know he's going to deliver us from your hand, king. One way or the other, you don't have the power over us. Our God does. And they, stand, they stood submitted to God's will. In verse 18, it says, but if not. Be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. So even if God doesn't deliver us out of this fiery furnace, and we give our life for him, we will not serve the God that you set up. Hands down, I'm going to serve the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was surrendering to God's will, whether they lived or whether they died. And we see all throughout the accounts of scriptures where, where people gave their life for Christ. All the disciples, you go through and list the disciples of how they, give, they gave their lives for Christ. And some in bad ways. Some were boiled alive. Some were filleted alive. There were, there were some crazy stuff that, that, that happened to the disciples, to the followers of Christ. And they, they stood steadfast. Stephen's account when he was stoned. The very first martyr for Christ. As he was stoned and they were throwing stones, it says that, that I see the grace of God that, entered, that intervened in that situation. As Stephen was being stoned, it says that what? He looked up to heaven and Jesus wasn't sitting, seated at the right hand of the Father. It says that Jesus was standing. He saw Jesus Christ standing. I know Stephen saw Jesus Christ standing because Jesus Christ was about to come get Stephen. Right? Because he says, if I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go... I will return so that I can come get you, so you can be where I am, right? So I know Jesus was standing at the Father's side waiting on Stephen's last breath so he could go down and get Stephen. I know the grace of God will step in and cover us. So in those moments of time when we may get to the point to where we have to face death, either follow God and face death or follow man and live, and we stand to steadfast, and we know that we're going to give our life for Christ, I, I promise you the grace of God will slip in, and Jesus Christ is going to walk right through the valley of the shadow of death with us. Amen? So they were steadfast, and they were submitted to the will of God, whether that was to live or die. And we also see that they refused to compromise. I love that, and I've always been told growing up, they didn't bend, they didn't bow, they didn't burn. 
right? Because they, were, they refused to compromise. Even in the face of death, of the fiery furnace, they did not compromise their, their uh, faith to God, and they were not going to worship other images. Their allegiance to God stood steadfast, right? Last week, we also saw that uh, they were steadfast in their faith. We saw that in verses 19 through 23. And I promise I'll get to the sermon this morning. <laughs> Last week, we also talked about them being steadfast in the faith of God, 19 through 23, right? And it's one thing to, to be defiant to a king, but it's another to stand in front of death. Do we have that type of a faith? Don't raise your hands. Do you have that type of a faith? It's easy to say that we have that type of a faith when we're in here. It's so easy to say that. And I've said it for several times through this, uh, through this uh, series, through this uh, Daniel chapter 3 portion. Right? It's so easy to stand in here and say, bless Jesus. It's so easy to say, I'm blessed. It's so easy to say, yeah, I live a life for Christ. But what about when it comes to those times? When your feet are literally being put to the fire, right? Then what? Are we actually living our lives for Christ? And are we willing to die if necessary? As believers, we know that God can deliver us. But God doesn't always deliver us, right? God doesn't always deliver us out of the thing fleshly. He will deliver us out of the hand of the enemy, okay? So in this passage, it's no different for that to be applicable to us today is he may not deliver us out of the problems of life, but he will deliver us out of the hand of the enemy, right? Because even if I have to give my life, or if we lose, the lo if we lose a loved one, we know if they have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we know where they're going, right? And so where are we in that? The Apostle Paul tells us, uh, as he was talking to the believers in Rome, the Apostle Paul was talking to the believers in Rome over in Romans chapter 5, that God will allow things in our life and he allows things in our life to happen to build our our character right just like the refiner's fire that i've talked about many times as they're doing gold and getting it to its purest form they boil and heat up the gold and they skim the top and get the the nasty off and they heat it up hotter and skim it off and get the nastiness until they get down to its purest form of gold so many times we don't understand the purpose of the trials in life and it's easy preaching. We have no idea uh, sitting there looking at these trials and these tribulations and problems that come at us. And we sit here and think like, why? Why me? And how many of us have said that? Why me? Why am I going through this? Right? And I heard a pastor say, and it stuck with me when he said this. He said, I had somebody ask, why me, pastor? Why is this happening to me? And his response was, why not? That's, so, that's a sobering question. His response to that person was, why not? Why not you? That's a sobering question that we can all ask ourselves. As we face those trials in life, instead of saying, God, why me? Why is this happening to me? All of this is coming on all at once, and it feels like the enemy is attacking us from every side. Why me? Why not? Jesus went through hardships. Jesus went through trials. Jesus went through people attacking and coming at him on every side. He, was all, he always had the Pharisees and the Sadducees down his neck, right? Constantly. Always facing some sort of problem. But Jesus said, I've overcome the world. You can overcome the world because I have overcome the world, right? So the main takeaway from last week could be summed up in, in one statement. It's this. As followers of Christ, we cannot lead the world to him. 
by conforming to its ways. Stay committed and stay the course. Stay committed and stay the course. Let's talk about this week, verses 24 through 27. All right, so we covered the past few weeks, their confrontation, their commitment, and lastly, we're going to talk about their, com uh, their companion. This is one of the best parts here, right? They had a companion through this whole thing. They had a companion, and we see that verses 24 through 27. We discover that God honored their commitment through their, uh, their confrontation. Even in the face of death, the Lord didn't forsake them. They were never alone. At any point in that time in their, uh, their journey, as the, any point standing before the counselors and the captains, any point standing before the king, they were never alone. Look at the Lord's presence in verse 24 and 25. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished. And rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. Verse 25. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I find this interesting too, uh, and, and this is just a side note, as I was studying this, um, I, I've heard many pastors talk about this, and I was talking about this with a couple of guys this morning. I've heard many pastors talking about different versions of the Bible, right? Because some versions of the Bible mention, it says, uh, as unto the fourth, it looks like uh, a son of the gods, lowercase g, add an s, making it plural, okay? So then they're like, well, hey, King James says it's the son of God. Other versions shifting it over to son of the gods, lower G, adding an S plural, right? They're misinterpreting this. That was God, this, that, and the other, okay? But listen to this, okay? And I'm going to step down here because this is just me studying. In my studying, as I was going and prepping for this this week, Scripture Scripture says that, and when you look in the Strong's, and if you do a, a Hebrew study, because we know the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, when you look at verse 25, it uses, when it gets to that point of the, either the Son of God or Son of the Gods, either way, the Hebrew word is one and the same, and it's Elah, okay? And the Hebrew word, in many times throughout that, uh, in that passage and other passages, when you look up the word Allah in Hebrew, the very first definition of that is heathen deities, which is little g, adding an S plural, okay? But it also means the God of Israel. So it can, either in one context or the other, mean either heathen deities or it can be speaking of the God of Israel, okay? So then it, it made me want to think, like, who is, who, how Daniel was seeing this, and what was Nebuchadnezzar seeing as he was looking at this, okay? So it, it's always important to, to remember what three things when you're breaking down the Word of God, when it was written, why it was written, and to whom it was written, okay? So if Daniel was talking about this in Daniel chapter 3, and he's looking at Nebuchadnezzar's point of view, check this out. This is just something that I saw. Nebuchadnezzar was standing there, and he said in what? In verse 25. He said in verse 25, he answered, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. 
So like I said, in other versions, like I'm going to use the NASB because the NASB uses a a similar uh, as the NIV. The NASB says the son of a son of the gods, plural, lower G. In my studying, and I see this, I could see that is completely accurate according to the Hebrew word that was used there as a heathen deity. As Nebuchadnezzar was standing there and he looked with his eyes and said, man, hey guys, didn't, didn't we throw three men? We throw three men in there? True, O king. Yep, we threw three men in there. I see four men. And the fourth is like a son of the gods. In his eyes, that's all he knew to explain. Because all he served was gods. He didn't serve the one true God. So in his eye at verse 25, at, verse 25, at that very moment when he looked and said, I see four I could see him saying, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. But then follow me. Don't shoot me down just yet for for doing this stuff, okay? Because I know some people be like, ah, no. Right. But now let's check out verse 26. Then, follow here. Then Nebuchadnezzar, he did what? He, He came near? Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of burning fiery furnace and then spake to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God. Now do you see a difference there? See, now there's a stark difference between verse 25 and verse 26. So I could wholeheartedly agree with some versions that say the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Because at that moment in Nebuchadnezzar's time, he didn't know anything else, and he was looking saying, That looks like a son of the gods. But then what does verse 26 say? It says that Nebuchadnezzar came near. And he got a little bit closer to the fiery furnace. And essentially, who did he get closer to? Got closer to God. Who was in the midst of the fiery furnace. Because then he says, I drew near. And then he called out saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the little, little God, No, you servants of the most high God. Same Hebrew word, Elah, completely different viewpoint. Now he says, you servants of the most high God, you come forth. Because you serve the one true God. I don't know who he is yet. But if you're walking around in a burning, fiery furnace where the furnace has been heated some seven times hotter than it should have ever been heated, and you're still walking around, moving, breathing, and talking to each other on the inside like nothing's going on, you serve somebody a little bit different than whom we serve. And I want to know because you are a servant of the Most High God. See, now he looks in and he begins to question, and they affirmed, yes, we cast them in, but the fourth one is a little bit different. See, as we draw closer to God, what happens? As we draw closer to him, we, be, we, we begin to see him for who he is. Draw near to me, and scripture says what? I'll draw near to you. Draw near to him, right? So as we draw near to God, we begin to see God for who he is. But then listen to this as a, a life application point. As we draw near to God, we begin to see him for who he is. Those little gods that we used to serve become what? Even littler and littler. 
because now we're beginning to see the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now we're beginning to see for ourselves the one that's going to be our provider. Now we're going to be able to see the one for ourselves, the one who's going to be our protector, right? And so as we're going through this, right, we're walking through this journey of faith. There's going to be times in our life, maybe you're going through it now, maybe you've come out of it, or maybe you're about to go into it. But there's going to be times in our lives that we hit the worst point ever. That we feel like we're at the worst point of our life that we could ever be at. The worst situation. But I promise you, God will be with you in the fire. He'll walk with you in the fire and he will deliver you and he will save you, right? We have no way of knowing what we're going to face in life. I have no way of being able to tell you guys, hey... Next week, be careful because you're about to experience this, that, or the other in your life. I just want to give you a heads up. I wish I could do that. Wish I could warn my congregation and say, hey, be careful next week because the enemy's going to attack you here. Just stay steadfast. But I can't. There's no way that we're going to be able to tell what we're about to face in life, but we have the assurance that we'll never do it alone. Right? Scripture tells us that we'll always be, that the Lord will always be with us. He promised to be there no matter what we face in life. The Bible says in John 14, 8, as I mentioned, as we were starting this service, John 14, 8 mentions that I'm not going to leave you comfortless. Don't worry. The, the disciples were starting to get antsy because he said, wait, where, where are you going? I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'll be back, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. What do you mean you're leaving? You've been with us and you've walked with us. You've talked with us. We watched you get crucified on the cross. We watched you get placed in a, in a tomb. We watched you give your life and we watched you raise again. And now you're saying you're leaving us. But don't worry, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. See, because as Jesus, as I'm standing here and, and not me, that was Jesus, right? Jesus speaking, right? As Jesus was standing there, he could only be at one place at one time at that moment because he was confined by flesh. But he said, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I want to give you the Holy Spirit. That way when you are in Brunswick and you're in Savannah and you guys are wherever. And people in Japan and people in Korea and people all over this world are coming together. They're worshiping the same God that we're worshiping this morning. Singing praises to the same God that we're worshiping this morning. And he's right there with them. Right there with him because he's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at once. I love the fact that we serve a God that's not confined by time, space, or matter. If we served a God that was confined by time, space, or matter, he wouldn't be much of a God. But he's outside of it. The creator is outside of it. And it's not just some deity that's sitting in the sky that doesn't care what we have going on in our life. He cares and wants to be a part of what you have going on in your life. He wants to be right there with you and walking alongside of you right there the entire time. And he'll provide a way for us. He gives his protection. Look at verses in 20, uh, 26 and 27. So in the previous verses, we see his presence. And God was right there in the fire with them. But now look at his protection. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the most high God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth in the midst of the fire, from the midst of the fire. Verse 27, and the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together, they saw the men upon whose body the fire had no power. Amen. Nor was there a hair of his head singed, neither were their coats changed. 
nor the smell of fire had passed on them. They didn't even smell like they had been to a campfire. Not even the smallest smell of smoke were on their bodies. Even in the extreme heat, we talked about it, heated seven times hotter than what it should have been. Not a single hair on their body was singed. That's the divine protection of an almighty God. See, in our lives, we encounter the fiery trials. Each and every one of you, if you've been alive long enough, you've faced a fiery trial in your life. If you haven't, stand still, because I promise it's coming to you. Right? But we've all faced those fiery trials in our life. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out of that fire. They came out of that, that furnace untouched and unharmed from the flames. We, too, can do the same thing. And even if he doesn't deliver you from the furnace of this life, there are people that, that, like my granddaddy, the Lord touched him and healed him from cancer, and he lived some 11 years past that diagnosis. And it was a bad diagnosis. Those of you that know me know the story. His prostate was the size of a grapefruit. It should have been the size of a walnut. And the doctor said, it's the worst case I've ever seen. And he worked up at the Medical College of Georgia. He did thousands of these surgeries. And he's like, Mr. McQuaig, yours is the worst I've ever seen. I couldn't even get it all out. Get everything ready because you have about a year to live. It, it's already in your body. But my granddaddy said, I don't accept that. Thank you, doctor. I appreciate your word, but I don't, I don't stand on that because I know God's not done with me in my life yet. And he still has stuff for me to do. And God stood with him. And 11 years he extended to his life. All because he stood on Mark eleven twenty two, Have faith in God. But he knew his time was not up yet. He knew he still had stuff to do on this earth. He knew he still had to minister to people. He knew that he still had to share the gospel. And he knew he was not done. Some 11 years later, he got diagnosed again. It came back. Ness, I hate cancer with a passion. Cancer came back on Papa. And I was in Savannah at this point. We were in Savannah uh, visiting at the hospital. And I walked in the hospital room and I said, Papa, don't even worry about it. God can heal you. We've watched him do it already. I've already watched him and he's extended some 11 years to your life. He'll do it again. And his words was not this time, son. Four words. Not this time, son. I'm going home. He knew he was done. He knew his time on earth was finished. And see, God may not have delivered him from cancer that second time. But he delivered, or I'm sorry, while he was here on this earth. But he delivered him from the hand of cancer now. Because I can promise you where he is, there's no sickness. There's no sorrow. There's no pain. No pain. And I know those promises because it's over in John chapter 14. You remember that over in John chapter 14? Dalton Thomas was saying that. We don't even know where you're going. If we don't know where you're going, how do we know the way to get there? I am the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. And I promise I'm going, to some, I'm going somewhere to prepare. Because in my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be also. So that you can be there as well. The psalmist said, in Psalm 91, verses 7 through 10, he talked about the protection of God. It says, a thousand shall fall at your side. 
and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Verse 9, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. God's protection doesn't mean that we always face these difficulties and get removed from the difficulties, but he will always walk through the difficulties with us. He's our strong tower. The name of the Lord is a, a strong tower, Scripture says, and the righteous are able to run into it, and they're saved. They're safe in the name of the Lord. So we see the Lord's presence, we see the Lord's protection, and we see the Lord's provision, verse 26 and 27 as well. This passage not only emphasizes the presence of God, but it talks about the protection of God, and it also shows his provision to, the, to those that are faithful servants of the Most High God. This is an awesome uh, power. This shows the awesome power and the awesome grace of a God that we serve, of the God that we serve, right? They stood steadfast. They remained faithful through all of the trials, and God met their needs. And not only did God meet their needs, he met them right where they were. He went to right where they were in their fiery trial, in their fiery furnace. He'll meet you there. Right in the middle of your fiery trial, right in the middle of what you have going on in life, God will meet you there. Just don't bend, don't bow, and you won't burn. He's able to provide for us. God is able to provide for us every need, even in the face of an inevitable defeat. When we're looking at that and we're looking out at whatever's going on in our life and there, it seems to be no possible way around it, I promise you he'll make a way through it. He ain't going to get you around it. He's going to take you right through it, right? John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. Jesus said, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither any man pluck them out of my hand. My, out of my hand. In verse 29, he continued and said, My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. The Lord is more than able and willing to come and provide for you and to come and protect you, and he'll meet you right where you are. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I said a moment ago, the, the takeaway of all of this passage in Daniel chapter 3 is that as followers of Christ, there is no possible way that you as a believer can lead the world to Christ when you're conforming to his ways, when you're conforming to the world's ways. The Lord is faithful to those who are in the body of Christ. So where are you in life? As we're walking through this and we finished up those, uh, that, that fiery furnace of Daniel, where are you in life? And I want to give you the opportunity to have a relationship if you don't have a relationship with God. If, there, if, if you're sitting here and you say, Pastor, I don't know that I've got that relationship with God. I don't know if I know Jesus like the way you're talking about him. Come talk to me. You can meet with me. You can meet with Pastor Rick. You can meet with any of our deacons. We would love to be able to share the gospel with you and tell you how you can have a relationship with Christ. As I say, week in and week out, there's a difference between knowing him and knowing him. You can know of him, but if you don't know him, there's a big 
difference. And see, when you know him and you have a relationship with him and you meet the king and creator of the universe, you cannot stay where you're at. You can't stay there because you're going to want to be different. You're going to want to live for him. You're going to want to uphold the gospel. You're going to want to uphold the commands that, that Jesus gave us. You're going to want to live for him and live different than previously. So if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Maybe you're sitting there and you say, well, pastor, I do have a relationship with God, but I know I'm not living for him. Come to the altar and get it right. Come up here and lay down at the foot of the altar and say, God, I am sorry. I've not lived for you. I've not been living a life that is righteous before your sight and upholy, and I'm not uh, upright and, and holy, and Lord, forgive me for that. Scripture says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Come and ask God to forgive you. Maybe you need to take that next step. Maybe you've never been uh, baptized, and you need to take that next step. Maybe you're looking for a church home, and you think that this is it. Hey, come talk to us. Whatever it is, whatever the Lord is laying on your heart right now, come take care of it.